Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. So today it's an honor to preach the Word of the Lord, and I'm reading from Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 18. I'm using the NLT. I read all the versions and I found the one that says what I want it to say. There's more truth to that than what I'm willing to admit. (laughs) But I love, I love the NLT, ESV, New King, King James. I'm using all of them today. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock... I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The NIV says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The message says not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So my subject today, I hope is for your edification entitled, The winning church. The winning church. I like to win. It's already happening. (laughs) Do we love babies at the Life Church? Praise God. How many likes to win? Does anybody like to lose? Nobody likes to lose. Everybody likes to win. And in life, the truth is, we win some and we lose some. John Maxwell wrote a book entitled, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. (laughs) So don't let your losses work against you, but learn something because we all experience winning and losing. Now I'm using the word win or winning advisedly. In fact, the Bible, which contains the story of God's story of redemption, often uses terms that suggests to us that in our lives, in our human existence, there is winning, there is losing. There's something at stake. There's something to be gained. There's something to be lost. We're not just ambling through life, you know, with nothing to gain or lose. We all stand in this room today, able to gain a lot and to lose a lot. Scripture uses metaphors, analogies, and terms like victory, fighting, wrestling, running, triumph, defeat, conquer, overcome. It sounds to me like 
God is speaking to us that it's our choice because we are going to win or lose. In the text, Jesus declares to Peter and really to all of us that the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, that if you read the full text of Matthew 16, Peter just received, and Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, and oh, by the way, on that revelation, I'm going to build my church, and the greatest force that Jesus could think of that will come against it is hell, so he just bypassed every other force. And there's other things that don't like the church. Not just hell. I know people don't like the church. I know politicians don't like the church. I know people that work at City Hall don't like the church. Because it took us two and a half years to get our permit to build this church. And not a one of them is going to heaven. That was a nice way of saying it, wasn't it? Well, we'll pray. We'll pray. <laughs> oh, Lord. Amen. So Jesus said, on this revelation, all the powers of hell, the onslaught of hell, the opposition of hell, won't be able to stop the church, can't prevent the church, can't defeat the church, cannot conquer the church. Amen. So in this declaration, Jesus identified the church's greatest threat, our most formidable foe, and he directly situates the church is standing up to and never being defeated by the powers of hell. So it appears from the text and from the scripture that brothers and sisters, if you are in the church, if you are in the body of Christ, if you love God, if you are living your life according to the principles, the precepts of this word, then whether you realize it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you like it or not, you're in a battle. You're in a fight. And it's a battle that the church has won, will win, and is winning today. First Peter chapter 5, the apostle said, stay alert, watch out, look out <laughs> for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. That's pretty descriptive. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kinds of suffering that you are. Listen, you're, don't be singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. There's plenty of people know the trouble you've seen and lots of people have known the trouble I've seen. And there are some among us today that have known that trouble and are still standing. 
They've known that struggle and they're still here. If God brought them through, he's gonna bring you through. If God brought them out, he's gonna bring you out. Oh yes, this is why we gather. This is why we come together to encourage each other. And, Paul, and the writer said, provoke one another. Inspire each other. Amen. So, the apostle Peter in this passage easily connects his communication device to his listeners using the metaphor of a lion who stalks, roars, threatens, intimidates. And I love the imagery of scripture. The writer of Hebrews situates every one of us today in a large stadium filled with spectators. I always wanted to play in a Super Bowl. I was good enough. Just kidding. I always wanted to. I wasn't a bad athlete. I wasn't the best athlete. In my church, when we picked up teams, I was using the, if I wasn't picking the team, I was using the first one to be picked. Same in Bible college. Not bad, not the best, not bad. I always wanted to participate in a, in a, at Arrowhead. Huh? Anybody got a dream like that? Well, can I tell you something? You are in a bigger arena than Arrowhead ever thought about being. Listen to this, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we, the followers of Christ, are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Listen, to, he's, using, he's using competition and winning and losing. He says, strip off every weight that slows us down. I see Jim Havner back here, back at the old church. I had Jim when he was young and had a lot more energy than he has now. I had, I had Jim, uh, wait, I had a bunch of you know, backpacks and suitcases. You remember that, Jim? And, he, and I said, Jim, I want you to come in just looking like a big turtle and, you know, suitcases and like a porcupine, you know, with all this stuff. And so Jim was trying to run and he couldn't run. So I started peeling those suitcases off one by. I said, now go ahead and run. Does that make you feel any better? Does anybody here remember that? Well, I thought it was one of the greatest metaphors and analogies I ever used. Jim probably doesn't even remember it. But... The writer of Hebrews said, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily trips us up. Amen. Now listen, we can get rid of the sins right now. All you got to do is repent and turn. Amen. Admit it, quit it, forget it, stop it, change your heart. We can get rid of that right now. That'll lighten your load. That'll help you run a lot faster. But you've got to let down the weights. Sometimes we pick up stuff that we don't have any business carrying. Sometimes we pick up weights and, and, and battles. And 
You know, I used to read my kids a, a, a Dr. Seuss book called Thidwick the Kind-Hearted Moose. There's good theology in Dr. Seuss. And this moose was so kind, he had this big rack of, do moose have horns or antlers? Antlers, thank you. I'm not a hunter. So they, he had these antlers and, and he's walking and a, and, a, and a mouse family said, can we make a house in your antlers? He said, sure. They jump up there and he went a little further and a bird wanted to make a nest in his hair, in, not his hair, but his antlers. And so the bird jumps up there and pretty soon here comes a, a groundhog and he jumps up in there and then a raccoon jumps up in there and, and he's walking and a fox jumps up in there and, and pretty soon he, he can't even cross the river to go over and have moose moss to munch with all the other moose because he, his, his tenants won't let him. They say, if you cross the river, what if we drown? No, we, we're living here now. And so poor Thidwick, he had to stay on the other side. He picked up all these weights along his life. He picked them all up. He didn't have to, but he picked them up and he's carried him now. And then suddenly one day he realized that he was going to shed his antlers and they just fell off and he was able to go across on the other side and have lots of nice mossy moose moss to munch. <laughs> Say that fast 10 times. Am I preaching to anybody here today? Are you ready for your antler to fall off? You've been carrying this and taking on that and carrying offense and carrying a bad attitude. And listen, there's enough sin in this world to bog us down for you and I to pick up junk along the way that we don't have any business carrying. I'm in this race to win it. And I'm surrounded by a sea of faces. A sea of faces. I, I love that imagery. It's Arrowhead Stadium. And there's a racetrack in the middle of it. And we're running, Brother Mark. We're running this race. Praise God. And, and, and you know who's in the sea of faces? I'll tell you who it is, Amanda. It's your mom and dad. She just buried her mom and dad within a few days of each other. She's feeling like an orphan today. But Amanda, mom and dad's up in the sea of faith. They've taken their place. They're like, come on, Amanda. Come on, Jacob. Let's go. Let's go. My mom and dad's up there. Hallelujah. I got to get rid of all the sin and the weight because I'm in the race to win it. I'm in it to win it. Hallelujah. I can't afford distraction. I can't afford carrying offenses. I can't afford a lousy attitude. I can't let you get in my way. You are not going to stop me from running this race. You are not going to keep me from being what God wants me to be. Hallelujah. Somebody get excited about running the race. Wow. Endure the race. This is a race of endurance. Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Oh, Jesus is the finish line. I'm not the finish line. He's the finish line. If you're just trying to out holy me, you're falling way short. If you're just trying to out pray me, you're, you're not hitting the finish line today. If you're just trying to out give me, then you're way short of the finish line. 
Pastor, not the finish line. Nobody on our staff is the finish line. Let me tell you, the finish line is one man. His name is Jesus Christ, and we're pressing. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. If it's not about Jesus, it's not about nothing. And I'm reaching for Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. Reach for Jesus. Amen. He said in verse three, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Praise God. Turn to somebody and say, I'm in it to win it. So my subject today is the winning church. How do you know if your church is winning? Is there such a thing as a church evaluation to find out if we're winning or not. Well, let me share a few things. The average size congregation in America is 75. The average size congregation in our particular faith is a little better than that. We're at about 100. Only 5% of the congregations in America ever grow to the size of this church. In fact, we're better. Three, 350, only 5% of the churches of America ever see that number on a Sunday. We broke through that. We broke into the top 5% of the churches in America many years ago. And we're still breaking through the Life Church baptizes on any given year more Sundays than on Sundays we don't baptize. God has blessed the Life Church with a, a beautiful campus, a worship facility. We have a kids' education center. It's finished. We're waiting, 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 waiting on the elevator people. But I understand there's a lot of ups and downs in their business. <laughs> and we have this facility where we're training, we're educating, we're mobilizing, we're disciple making. We are, we are in fellowship and our architect, our contractor rather told us, told Pastor and I the other day that it would take about $12 million to build this building again right now. And so we are blessed. We are blessed. We showed you a video in January of 97 new faces at the Life Church in the last 12 months. Are we winning? I don't know. I never know. For 40 years as a pastor, people would ask me, how's the church doing? I, I have no idea. Because I'll tell you why I adopted that answer. Because one day I said, oh, we're doing great. Man, people are being filled with the Holy Ghost. People are being baptized. We're having record numbers. And that week all hell broke loose. 
And so I said, I'm not giving that answer anymore. I'm just saying, I have no idea. All I know is God's on the throne. He's large and in charge, and I'm going to be faithful. That's how I'm doing. That's how I'm doing. Praise God. The truth is, all congregations, every church, doesn't matter the denomination, the faith, the doctrine, all congregations go through cycles. They go through seasons. They have episodes. And even in the book of Acts, which is the history of the original church, which we are the extension of, uh, they experienced ups and downs. They experienced ebbs and flow. They experienced addition and subtraction and multiplication. And at the Life Church, we have experienced addition and subtraction. I'm not sure if we've seen multiplication yet, but we're working on that. We want to multiply disciples. So over the last 35 years that we've been a part of our church, we know that we have experienced ebb and flow, loss and gain, success and failure. And we know that we're in good company because everything that we go through, our first church in the book of Acts, they experienced it as well. But I got to tell you, I like to win. Al Davis was the, the longtime owner of the hated, despised Oakland Raiders. And he said, just win, baby. Just win. And I'm telling you today, I like to win. Everybody likes to win. In fact, everybody loves a winner. How many were in Kansas City when the 85 Royals won the World Series? Seven people. How many were in Kansas City in 2015 when the Kansas City Royals were the world champs? So save your ticket stubs. By 2045, it'll roll back around. Poor Royals. How about them Kansas City Chiefs? Kansas City's a football town. It's a football town. Winners, 2020. And 2022 and 2023. I'm You never want to watch a Chiefs game with Gloria. She's intense. Stand up, Gloria. That's the biggest stick of dynamite. It comes in small packages. <laughs> And I have to mention that, never mind. Well, I want to do everything I can to help the Life Church win. Because when you win, I win. How many want me to win? <laughs> I want you to win. Paul said, rejoice with those that rejoice. That means when they win, you win. So rejoice. Huh? Well, I didn't get the raise. They got the raise. Well, rejoice with their raise and maybe you'll get a raise. Amen. Well, well, she found out she's going to have a baby and I want to have a baby. Well, rejoice with her baby. Maybe you'll have a baby. Come on. I'm just trying to connect here with somebody today. Praise God. When you win, I win. When you have a miracle, I have a miracle. When you get blessed, I get blessed. 
Amen. When you have victory, I have victory. I want the life church to win. I want you to win. I want to help my pastor win. When our pastor wins, we win. <laughs> if he's discouraged, depressed, despondent, overcome, we're not going to have revival. When, when you know, T.F. Tenney said, bad news gets around the world twice before good news can put his boots on. <laughs> Pastors get bad news. People tell us things. People share things. It's part of our job. In fact, we had a man here. He was our head usher for years. He worked for McGilly Funeral Company. And, you know, he dealt with loss every day, three, four, five times a day. Some of you remember him, Floyd Russell. He was a wonderful, wonderful, strong, godly man in our church. I told him, I said, Floyd, I'm praying for you because you're carrying a lot of burdens. People come, you see them at their worst. You see families, you know, upset and, and troubled and, and broken. And, and the, it's sort of like the ministry because people tell us stuff and people share their burdens with us. And that's why we're here. And the Bible said, bear you one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. But I got to tell you, amen, that if we want to win as a church, then the first person that needs to win is our pastor. Amen. I understand pastoring really well, and I'm not a pastor right now, but let me just tell you the heartbeat of a pastor. A pastor wants the church to win. A pastor wants everybody to overcome and to be victorious. And, and there's things that we go through, and there's battles that we face, and there's challenges that we're dealing with. Pastors have their problems. They have their wife's problems. They have their kids problems and they got all our problems. You know, you got your problems and yours and you and me and me, 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 me. And, but he's got us and you and you and you and you and you. And pastor and I haven't talked and I don't know what's going on. It may be nothing's going on, but file this for the future. If we want to win, our pastor's got to win. So we got to pray for him because if he doesn't have revival, then we don't get to have revival. If he's not encouraged, then we're not going to be encouraged. You say, where did I get that? I got it from the Bible. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, you know, you're not doing right. So I'm going to have to give you a spanking and you straighten up and figure it out and fly right. Well, that's a Gleason paraphrase. But the second epistle, second Corinthians, he said, if I come to you again in sadness and discipline, then who's going to help my joy? That's in your Bible. He said, so I'm not coming to you with a whip this time as a parent that is disciplining. He said, I've come to help your joy. Praise God. And I'm going to tell you that at the Life Church, we have life. At the Life Church, the DNA of this church is victory. It is not defeat. The DNA of this church is to overcome. It is not to be conquered. The DNA of this church is to be healed and to be recovered and to be delivered and to get a good new lease on life. Hallelujah. Amen. If you come for bad news, you came to the wrong place. This is not a bad news house. This is a good news house. And I want to help my pastor win. And the only way a pastor can win and the only way your boss can win and the only way any leader can win is if a lot of people want to help them win. Yes. 
Why did Moses win? He won because Aaron and Hur climbed the mountain with him. He climbed the mountain. Aaron and Hur said, he's climbing the mountain. Let's go climb the mountain. And when they were there, they lifted up his hands. You read it in the book of Exodus. They lifted up his hands. And when his hands were lifted, the children of Israel defeated their enemies in the valley below. And when his hands fell down, the enemy prevailed against the children of Israel. How can I help my pastor win? Pray for him. Amen. Help him have victory. Pray for his kids. The quickest way the devil can attack a pastor and his family is to attack the children and pray for the kids. Thank you for everybody that ever prayed a prayer for my kids. And I thank you. And don't stop praying. We need to pray for each other's kids and encourage each other. Hallelujah. How did David win? Because he had 400 men that joined him in a cave and said, David, we're come to help you win. These men weren't perfect. The Bible said they were in debt. They were discouraged. They were distressed. But they came to the sweet psalmist of Israel. I wonder if those campfire nights in the cave or just outside the cave, David was playing the harp and singing, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his whole. And the man looked, man, that's our leader. Look at him. He's victorious. If he's victorious, we're going to be victorious. If he's encouraged, we're going to be encouraged. Praise God. I've come to help somebody's joy today. This is a winning church. We're in a race to win it. Praise God. God wants you to win. You guys know how to run? Thank you, Jalen. Jackson, you like to run? How long has it been since you ran the bases? Been a while. Harrison? You ready to run? Zach, you ready to run? Emmanuel, you ready to run? You guys give me one lap around the church. Ready, set, go! Come on, let's clap for him. Come on, you can do better than that! There we go! Man! Wow! That's what it feels like when you win! We want you to win! We want you to win. Come on, Jackson, finish strong. Man, I love that. That got my juices going. I feel like running a lap around the church right now. I don't want to end up in the emergency room. I told Sister Elizabeth over here when we said, dance like the weight's been lifted. I said, this is all I got right now. Amen. I'm in it to win it. Amen. Everybody okay? So I grew up in Minnesota. I still follow all my teams. And by the way, I can't believe I said the hated Raiders. We have a member of the 
Las Vegas Raiders here today. All apologies. He knows I love him. So I grew up in Minnesota and uh, twins, Vikings, Gophers, Wild, Timberwolves, pray for me. There's not a, there's not a night that closes and I lay my head down. I don't know what one of my teams did. And they lose mostly. And so keep me away from sharp objects. But Jesus was always aware of his, if his team was winning or losing. He always knew what the score was. His priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus explains the mission of the church. What's at stake. And who the players are and how the winners win. And I won't take you through John 17, but read it. His priestly prayer. It's a powerful prayer. And we see the tension that exists between the competitors, the church, and the world. Jesus prayed that the church would not be taken out of the world. Jesus did not pray for the world. He prayed for us. And we pray for the world. Jesus prayed and said that he would no longer be in the world, but that we, his followers, would be left behind as his representatives in the world. Jesus prayed for us that we would be kept in this world by his name. Everybody said kept. That means protected. That means fortified. That means preserved. We would be kept. Jesus prayed that we would have his joy while we are in this world. Jesus prayed and said that we would be hated by the world because we are not of the world. And Jesus prayed not that we would be taken out of the world, but that we would be kept from the evil, the evil one. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified. That means sustained and moving in a right relationship with God. And this would be through the power of his word of truth. And finally, Jesus prayed that as he had been sent into the world, so we would be sent into the world. And this is the irony of this prayer. Jesus squarely situates us in the world as his image bearers, his representatives, his emissaries, his ambassadors, and yet he well understands that the world is not a conducive environment for his followers to live victorious. You know, why couldn't he have put us in paradise? Well, he tried that once. It didn't work out so well. And so in 2 Corinthians 6.17, Paul said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It seems counterintuitive for God to place us in a culture where temptation is all around us. Where people hate what we believe and what we stand for. 
where we are vilified and attacked and are against what we are for and are for what we are against. This is the same God who situated Job as his representative in a battle of good versus evil. And Job did not even know that there was a bigger story going on than just his story. He didn't realize how big of a stage. It was Job against the powers of hell. It was Job against the devil. And God's like, watch him. Watch him. Don't take your eye off him. Have you considered my servant Job? God pointed him out. I wonder if God's pointing out somebody today. I'm not saying that your path ahead is Job's path, but I'm telling you that if you are his child, then he believes in what you've got because of what he's put inside you. If you've been born again of the water and the spirit, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the spirit of the Holy Spirit, amen, that's the overcoming spirit. It's a spirit of the resurrection. It's a spirit that that brought Jesus up out of the grave. When you have the Holy Ghost. You don't just have tiddlywinks. You've got something powerful. And Jesus said, I believe in you. I believe in what I did at the cross for you. I believe in the power of my blood, the power of my word, the power of my name. I'm throwing you right in the devil's backyard. I'm putting you in a culture that hates everything you are and everything that you do. But if you stand with me, I will stand with you. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood when everybody else bowed. That's an imagery for the 21st century church. They stood. Everybody said they stood. Paul said in Galatians 5, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day. And when you've done all to stand... Stand. That's one letter away from my name. (laughs) That was a revelation right there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fire. It's heated seven times hotter. Huh? The Bible said in the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Jesus said in the last days, it's going to be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and the days of Noah. He talked about deception. He said even the very elect could be deceived unless the days be shortened. The biggest battle we have right now is deception. Don't be deceived. Don't give up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood. They went into the fire. What I want to know is how they get in the fire if the guys that were trying to put them in there perished in the heat. I'll tell you how they got in the fire. They were bound hands and foot. Said, well, if they don't throw us in, somebody else is going to be along and throw us in. We might as well go in. I don't know, just my crazy imagination. (laughs) And the king looks in there and says, Then we put three in there, and now I see four. And the fourth is likened to the Son of God. Let me tell you something. He may not deliver you from going through the fire, 
but he may choose for you to go through the fire. But guess who's going to be in there with you? He's going to go through the fire with you. Huh? And they put three in the fire. And how many came out? Three. Four didn't come out of the fire. Three came out of the fire. Three went in, three came out. Where's the fourth one? I'll tell you where the fourth one is. He's still in the fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He's waiting for you when you come in the fire. He said, if you go through the fire, you will not be burned. If you go through the water, you will not be drowned. Hallelujah. We are on the winning side. We are a victorious church. We cannot be defeated. We cannot be conquered. I'm among the winning church today. Stand with me, if you will, all over this house. Amen. We're a part of a winning church. A winning church. A victorious church. Praise God. Amen. Is anybody encouraged today? If it, I hope you'll leave better than what you were when you walked in here. I hope that you've heard a word to edify you, to strengthen you. There was a time in my life I thought I lost. I really believed I'd lost everything. Not my marriage, thank God. Not my young children, Justin and Marissa. I thought my ministry was over. I thought my career path was destroyed. I was ready to quit. I still can't believe it. Seems like another life ago. My wife and I were this close to resigning the ministry, getting a couple good jobs, raising our kids to love God. Just no more preaching, no more pastoring. I've been a youth pastor. I've been an evangelist. I've been a pastor. I was 31 years old. I really thought it was over. I felt lost. I felt forsaken. I really did. Where are you, God? I thought you called me to do this, and I don't have a desire to do it. I'm empty. I was getting ready to preach on a Sunday night in Lone Oak, Arkansas, June the 5th, 1988. This will be my last sermon. I was so frustrated. I was so tired of losing. I had my suit and my tie on, had my Bible. I was so angry. I knew there was something more, but I didn't know where to find it. I could hear the musicians practicing, the singers were practicing. The devil's on this shoulder. He's saying, oh, yeah. Preach sermon number five tonight. No, no, not five. Fourteen, fourteen. Yeah, I like fourteen. He's 
taunting me. I was so upset. And I said, God, I am not leaving this room until you give me a desire to do it. Because I'm broken, I'm empty, I don't have it anymore. And I fell to the floor. I'm sobbing. I'm sobbing. Feeling sorry for myself. Suddenly I hear 1 Corinthians 15.10. What's that say? By the grace of God, I am what I am. It took my breath away. You mean I don't just have to pull myself up by my bootstraps and suck it up and take one for the team and show up with it kills you? By the grace of God. Then I hear Philippians 2.13. What's that say? It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm not saying that I've changed the world, but I am saying that God took a lost, hopeless, at the end of myself. And that's where I needed to be. I needed to come to the end of my talent to the end of my connections, to the end of my charisma, to the end of my ability. And God was saying, I've seen your stuff. Now, would you like to see my stuff? I've seen what you can do. Now, would you like to see what I can do? It changed my life. (laughs) I'm a note preacher. I went out to that church that night. I had two verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 and Philippians 2, 13. I threw all my sermon notes away. I said, I don't need any of that. I'm going out with a revelation. I'm going out with a new inspiration from God. I preached the house down. I walked the back of the pews. I blew snot and tears everywhere. I was shouting. I was dancing. I was rejoicing. I had a revelation. I was back on the winning side. And the truth is I was never losing. I just needed to get to the end of myself. And I want to tell somebody here today, you'll never do it by yourself. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Why don't you let the grace of God be released into your life today? When I got that revelation, I've been all over the world. I've preached in Africa. I've preached in India. I've preached in South America. I've preached every conference you could shake a stick at. But it's not because of me, but it's Christ that's working in me. He changed my life forever. I will never be the same again. I know he took a broken, busted, and disgusted preacher who was losing and helped me to win. Praise God. I want you to win today. I want you to lift your hands in the presence of a winning God. He's going to help you right now. Amen. Help is coming for you right now. Go ahead. I challenge you, if you're at the end of the road, lift your hands and call on the name of the Lord. Get honest with God. Come on, just be honest with God. If you want to come, come on. If you want to come and pray, come on and pray. 
Amen. God's going to help you get on the winning side. He's going to help you win. He's going to help you be victorious. Somebody needs to call the devil a liar. Somebody needs to confront the enemy right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. God doesn't save losers. Oh no, God doesn't make losers. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh yes, come on. Come on, come on. Come one, come all. Lift your heart, lift your hand. You are a victor. You are a conqueror. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.